you recall just Wednesday, our focus for this season is very simply to pause from our busyness of life. You know, life has a way of just, if we're not careful, just pulling us, pulling us in all kinds of different directions. Uh, we're busy about many things. It's a very complicated world we're living in here today, and many of these things, of course, are are good things, but the problem is, is if, if we're not aware or alert, we can just be so carried away that in you know, 30, 40 years down uh, the road of our life, we look back and, and say, I'm just filled with all kinds of regrets, or I, I never realized that I would be where I am right now, or, you know, I can't believe that this relationship has gone in this direction. We have to take our moments and become very intentional about them, and that's the goal of Lent, to just simply help us to be more aware of what is taking place. Sometimes we can't control what's taking place. But we can be aware of how we respond to them, becoming more in tune with what's going on within us, which then helps us, again, to make the appropriate or the better responses that, if we weren't attentive, could really be bad. And we don't certainly want that. As we listen to today's readings, again, we're given an option, which is always God's way of doing things, isn't it? options. We're no force and fear. We are not puppets on a string. We have choices. And the choices we make come with consequences, and we live with those consequences. So our choice today is the Garden of Eden or the desert where Jesus goes. Before we answer that, let's look at our readings. Because the same three tools that we received at Ash Wednesday, prayer, fasting, almsgiving, are really what's going on in both of our first reading and our gospel. Remember on Ash Wednesday, we, we contemplated with prayer, we come to realize who we really are. Children of God. That in that account of Genesis, God did something to us humans that was different than every other creation. He got down and blew into our nose the breath of life. Now, other things live, but his breath of life is the breath of life. So, through our prayer, we come to realize, or it's confirmed, or we grow in our true identity. Once we know our true identity, then the other things hopefully will find their, its own place. Fasting. Fasting reminds us that, as I just said, if we're not careful, we can become very lazy and just simply go with our fallen passions, wherever they lead. Our mood swings, which <laughs> any given moment, up or down, feel like eating, eat, feel like drinking, drink, feel like sleeping, sleep, feel like working, work, rather than an intentional, lived-out choice of life, how I'm going to discipline myself because I'm a disciple of Christ. And, of course, almsgiving realizes that because we're adopted children of God, it's not just me and Jesus. Jesus has inserted me into a family. And so almsgiving pulls me out of my selfishness, my self-absorbedness, and realize that there's people who need my help, and I need their help. That we're a community, and we do this, we move together, the people of God, we're not just simply in isolation, me and Jesus, off in our little 
uh, world and to heck with everyone else. That's not how it works. And so let's look at the readings with those three tools in our mind. So the devil, for those of you who don't know, actually exists. Just take a moment and think about what comes into your mind at the time that it comes in, and you say, how on earth did I just think of that right now? That's so inappropriate. But he doesn't make us do things. And that's an erroneous thought in our current culture. Well, the devil made me do it. It's not really modern. Was it Flip Wilson? The devil made me do it. You know, there's no blame. The devil knocks. He just simply knocks. You're the one who opens it. I'm the one who opens the door at that knock. And then all he does is plant a seed of doubt. Did God really say that? That's all. Did God really say that? We could say that about anything. Did God really say that about matrimony? Did God really say that about self-abuse? Did God really say that about overworking, underworking, oversleeping? Under Did God really say that you should come to church on Sunday? Did God really? Did he really say it? Does he really care? Isn't God love? So all he does is plant a little seed of doubt. Where the doubt goes is up to you and I. We can shut it off right away if we choose. So let's listen to the, this little brief passage because here's where the woman falls. She saw that it was, the tree was good for food, pleasing to the eyes, desirable. So there it is, lust. Lust isn't just of the sensual nature in the sense of sexuality. Lust is for the things of this world, anything of the senses. I can lust for your monetary, uh, whatever, your car, your, your bank account. I can lust for your reputation. I can lust for all kinds of things. It's the desire to accumulate the things of this world. Avarice, greed. God gave them everything in the garden. There's only one thing he said don't touch. They weren't lacking in anything. This is pure greed. Yeah, I know he said we could have everything but that one thing. But you know what? I don't want everything. I just want that one thing. Pride. Gaining wisdom. Okay, lady and gentlemen, Adam and Eve, not you, uh, you already have wisdom. You're made in God's image and likeness. He breathed into you. And this is prior to original sin, so you don't have clouded intellect. Weak in will or fallen passion. You have everything you need. Why do you think you need more wisdom? Pride. You want to be better than God. You want to be God. You want God out of the picture. See how this could play out in any of our personal sins? Very easy to fall into these traps. Lust. Avarice, greed, and pride. The solution or the tool is prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. Let's see Jesus in, the, in his desert. So remember, we have a choice. You can be in his desert or you can be in her garden. In her garden, it looks good, doesn't it? His doesn't look so good. And yet, if we stand back, so the tempter approached him and said, If you're the Son of God, you know, he's been 40 days, 40 nights, you must be hungry. 
Your muscles must just be completely atrophied. Your body must just be convulsing for survival. God would understand. Use your divinity to change stones into bread. Misuse your power. God will understand. You're at a crisis here. Nope. Jesus understands the principle that the ends never justifies the means. That's a loophole that you and I often fall into, or a trap we often fall into, is thinking, well, I can have good come out of this, even though it's a bad choice, a bad activity. I can, I can make sure good will come of it. This is the fable of Robin Hood, and it's a lie. He's not a hero. He's a thief. <laughs> he may give it to the poor, but it's not his to give. Sorry, pal. And that friar talk, what is he doing in that? The devil took him to the holy city. Now let's go to the third one. The devil took him to the high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world. Again, think of, Jesus, think of what you could do if we gave you the Oval Office. You could get rid of poverty. You could end war. If you just genuflect to me, it's just a simple act. Just a small, brief act of worship. And then I'll give you all of this, and you can change the world. Again, the ends never justifies the means. We stockpile and stockpile and say, well, you know, I'll, I'll use it for good use. Well, how are you getting your stockpile? Well, I invest in, uh, you know, this, and I invest in that, and I have my money, people invest in this, all the things that we don't stand for, but it's okay, it's earning me money so that I can give it to the poor. Uh, wrong. You may have all of these villages and cities, and, but at what expense? Almsgiving. And the third one, prayer, pride. It's when we're on our knees that we realize, I can't do this alone. I really need help. I can't overcome the simplest of venial sins let alone save my own soul. If you are the Son of God, command that these stones throw yourself off the parapet of the temple. God will send his angels to raise you up. Don't put God to the test. God is the one that is on our side. Maybe the only one on our side some days. Why would we put him to the test? Because we think he's not going to take care of us? That's the whole temptation narrative, isn't it? Will God take care of us? Will God uphold his end of the deal, his end of the bargain? We have a choice. We can follow Adam and Eve into what appears to be a very beautiful garden. It appears to have everything we need. We can take it upon ourselves to then rule that garden without the dictates that God has put before us. But if we step back, we see the results of that garden. That garden becomes the desert that Jesus is actually in right now. And that garden, while it or that desert, while it appears to be desolate and empty and dried up, is actually life. Because we know when we give of ourselves, we find ourselves. When we spend our life for him, that's when resurrection comes. The end of the story is not just that he's in the garden being tempted. The end of the story is he gives himself completely to his father, knowing that his father will take care of him. Why? Because he's his son. 
And you and I are his sons and daughters, and God will take care of us as well. He's given us a pattern to live our life by, and by pausing for this season of Lent and exercising our prayer, our fasting, our almsgiving, we can see what's really going on within us. We may not be able to control it, but what we can do is respond. And our response should be to throw it on the altar. Lord, look at the mess I've made of of your beautiful creation. Please refashion it, remold it, make it anew. This week, let's ask the Holy Spirit to help us uncover the demons that lurk within us so that we can have them cast out and enjoy closer friendship with him.